when I started writing, Latino literature hadn't been invented. Ethnic literature hadn't been invented. African-American literature was just starting to be, certain books were being put in the curriculum. I think Maxine Hong Kingston's The Woman Warrior really was a moment in which the mainstream culture said, oh my goodness, this is beautiful, this is lyrical, this is American literature. You know, this is part of who we are, these stories of people that have come from somewhere else. And along with everything else they brought, they brought their stories. They brought something that is enriching to the culture. But I think part of me was afraid of telling the stories. Uh, Maxine Hong Kingston starts out The Woman Warrior with a line that I think could could start a, a, off any Latina's novel from that generation. My mother told me never ever to repeat the story. And then she tells the story. I love that. That book opened me up. That was author Julia Alvarez talking about the influence on American literature of writer Maxine Hong Kingston. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Maxine Hong Kingston is a pioneering author who in many ways cleared the path for both ethnic and women's literature. In language that's lyrical and poetic, Kingston looks at the complications of leaving one country for another, often weaving strands of Chinese folk stories and myths throughout her work, like the tale of the great woman warrior, Fa Mulan. Kingston has written three novels and several works of nonfiction centered on the experiences of Chinese immigrants living in the United States. Her first book was the path-breaking The Woman Warrior, which won the National Book Critics Circle Award. Although The Woman Warrior looked at the particular experience of the female immigrant, exploring immigrant women's unique and uncertain location at the intersection of gender and ethnicity, and really opening the doors for women's literature, Kingston refused to limit herself to a single perspective and successfully crossed gender boundaries with her second and third novels, China Men and Tripmaster Monkey, which are both told from male points of view. In fact, another of the many literary awards received by Maxine Hong Kingston includes the 1981 National Book Award for China Men. Since 1991, Maxine Hong Kingston has been leading meditation and writing workshops for military veterans and their families. Their writing has been collected in an anthology edited by Kingston called Veterans of War, Veterans of Peace. Maxine Hong Kingston's most recent publication, I Love a Broad Margin to My Life, is a book of poetry, or more accurately, a memoir written as poetry in free verse that follows the author from the United States to China and back. In 2011, the F. Scott Fitzgerald Literary Conference, which is hosted by Maryland's Montgomery College, presented Maxine Hong Kingston with its annual literary award. I spoke with her right after she received the award in the television studios of Montgomery College. I'd learned that Maxine had started out as a poet, and so that's where I began our conversation, by asking her to tell me about her experiences with poetry. I began the moment I could talk. My mother said that I, I could talk when I was born, and uh, 
and that I uh, spoke in poetry, and also that I talked story. And it was, it was in Chinese. So that was the beginning of my life as an artist. It was um, composing Chinese poetry. Chinese was your first language? Yes. When did you learn English? When you went to school? Yes. I, I encountered English when I went to kindergarten. And I don't think that I could really uh, speak it until I was um, seven, eight. Now, when you learned English, is that when you moved from poetry to prose? No, I, because I remember uh, writing poetry in English also. So I think um, it's it, it sort of all blended together. So no, no, I was writing poetry in English also. Let's talk about your first book, The Woman Warrior, which is prose, but it's written so lyrically. It clearly is written by a poet as well. Can you tell me what went into creating that book? Why did you write it? Well, I remember starting uh, The Woman Warrior when I went to Lanai, which is a little island, a pineapple island in Hawaii, and just sitting in this hotel room of a small hotel with 10 rooms and facing the wall and not the sea or the, the beautiful scenery, but just facing the wall and jotting down words and sounds which indicated important scenes and just beginning there and also beginning with the line, don't tell anyone what I am about to tell you. And this is from my mother. What, is she, what she's doing is putting a taboo on the important stories. And so I, I just stated her giving of the taboo and then making up my mind that I was going to break them and tell the stories and write them. And a way to free myself to write anything is to decide that it's all right if it never gets published and that I never show anyone. But I needed to write, write it down. That book is so extraordinary, and I, I wonder if you realize the gift that you gave all of us with that book. It is such a profound, a profound book, a profoundly important book, because in breaking your taboos, you somehow showed all of us how we could break them. Yes, yes. I do realize that I uh, gave uh, this voice, this way of seeing the world and uh, giving voice to not just myself but to everyone. Um, toward the end of the uh, book, I am actually bullying a silent girl. Mm -hmm. And it's like I am saying, speak up, tell your story. And I'm not just saying it to her. I mean, as, as a little girl bullying another little girl, I am just talking to her. 
But when I write the book, I am saying to the world, you have stories, and you may think that they're particular to you, and you may think that they are small and unimportant, but tell your stories. I'm going to tell my story, so you tell yours too. But what I think is so extraordinary about that book, and to me it's, it really is one of the hallmarks of great literature, is that in the very particularity of your story, you're telling a universal story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure this is the way um, art always works like that. I think of it as Shakespeare who says to us, you know, that uh, the microcosm is in the macrocosm, mm -hmm. and when you uh, tell the story, when you write the poem, you, you will live forever, and whoever reads it also will make you live forever. Exactly. Uh, what fascinates me is when I read that book, I felt so strongly that I was reading about a dear friend of mine and her mother. They're Russian Jews who emigrated to England, but that battle and the stories her mother would tell her and the fight she was in with her mother where, for her immortal soul, but at the same time, the great love and devotion that was there. And when I gave her the book, I said, this is the story of you and your mother, and she absolutely agreed. Good. I have heard from um, immigrants from all over the world, and they will say, this is my story. Or I will hear from, just from people who have you know, people who've ever been to school, people who've ever been bullied or, or bull, bullied someone else, or people who've been in wars, and they, they will say, yeah, this is my story. Part of what you do there is the issues of race and gender. It is absolutely in the foreground, clearly a very deliberate act on your mm -hmm. part. And also quite trailblazing then. I mean, now it's what people do when you did it quite new. You know, when I wrote uh, The Woman Warrior and when, when I began uh, writing in this way, I was very aware that, um, that I, I need to make my way into American literature. I need to make my way into, into the literature that's written in English. And, uh, and there are not characters like my characters. The uh, American literature is not made of Asian people. There are even a few blacks that are making their way into American literature. So how, how are we going to do this? So um, to write these stories and to, uh, to write people who are not uh, white people. Uh, I knew that I was doing a pioneering act. Also to bring in myths that are not the Greek and Roman myths. So the way was just to write the best you can and see what they could make of this. I had thought that maybe I will not be able to send it to a publisher in New York that would understand so I was thinking, um, if I cannot uh, find an American publisher, then I will try 
uh, Britain, and I will try Hong Kong, and we'll see what happens. But I did find an uh, American agent, an American publisher. The other thing you did in that book is you found a way to translate an oral tradition into a written one. And you really did that by insisting on ambiguity. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah please the, talk about the, that. The oral tradition or talk story is uh, so amorphous and, and contains great ambiguity. Every time you tell a story orally, it's different. And the uh, oral stories are different according to who you tell the story to because you find a, a person who needs a certain story and then you tell it to fit that person. And so every time you tell the story, it's a new story. So what happens when you uh, write into text? And what we think about writing is that there is a definitive text and then it's set as if carved in stone and it can never be different. So can I write in such a way that uh, every time you read it, it's telling you a different story? And this story is for this particular reader but it's also for another reader. I would love it if this were a story for, for little girls. But also, how about men? Yeah, this is a story for men, too. And, and it could be for sexes. It could be for the slave masters, but it could also be for slaves to read. Uh, it's for everyone. And so it was a matter of finding the language that could do it. And also, my stories are coming f from another language. And so the stories that my uh, mother told, they're in Chinese. And so how can I translate it? And not just translate word for word, but to translate a whole culture and a way of storytelling into uh, English and into the written word. Part of what you also do is use magical realism to do that, which strikes me thinking about how much magical realism is used in Latin American culture, mm -hmm. where, again, there's this layering of cultures. And in exactly in your case, too, it's layering of cultures. Cultures are overlapping and colliding. It seems like magical realism is a very good way of being able to get into that texture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there, in magical realism, you're able to write about daily mundane life, but also the mythic life that's around us. And also there's another layer of superstition and another layer that's science and then the many layers of the different cultures that we all come from. When I went to China uh, soon after the Cultural Revolution and I, I met many Chinese writers and artists and they were trying to figure out what do we write after Cultural Revolution because in the Cultural Revolution, 
They destroyed modernism and modernity, mm-hmm. and they also destroyed the feudal. So now what do they have left? Where are they going? And I was very gratified to see them look to me as someone who was able to escape those conditions. They saw me as uh, I was free in America. I could do whatever I wanted, and I could do all kinds of experiments with literature. And so I was writing in this way that, that we're now calling magical realism. And they were looking to, to the Latin Americans and to me and to my writing as a way that Chinese writers can go. It's interesting that the woman warrior is seen certainly, A, it's literature, and it happens to be feminist as well, that your next two books, the point of view changes and you're writing from the point of view of a man. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? Was it fun? Did it take a while to get comfortable doing that, both with Chinaman and Tripmaster Mm -hmm, Monkey? mm -hmm. Well, the the way I was thinking was that a really evolved woman, a really evolved feminist, would then be able to understand men. An evolved writer, a very good writer, can do more than one's own point of view. You get into the point of view of the other, and a very foreign other is uh, a man. And I I was thinking, I I had read about Tolstoy and about all, all these great novelists. What an amazing thing Tolstoy was able to do. He could write Anna Karenina. And so I thought, wow, that's what I need to do. I need to write a man's book. So China men, uh, from many men's point of view. Then when I got to Tripmaster Monkey, I loved uh, the way men spoke during the 60s. I heard slang and the hip language as coming from men. Uh, women were not speaking like that. So I wanted to use that language, the slang language of the 60s. And there was new language that was coming out. The language of the experiments being done with drugs and psychedelics. And the the new language of the um, politics when we were having the beans and the lions and the and the peace demonstrations and and so I wanted a a book in which I was free to use that language and not just slang but woman warrior and China men I was always um, bringing in the language of China and that I was translating people who spoke Chinese and figuring out a way how to to translate their speech into English. In Tripmaster Monkey, I was free to forget about Chinese. I, I just wanted to write the American language, the new American language. And, and that's my language because I, I grew up uh, in the 60s and had the fun of that. So Tripmaster Monkey was my American book and, and no more of this Chinese Yes, and and Whitman, a fifth-generation Chinese-American, who you've called your avatar. (laughs) I love a broad margin to my life. 
that is a, a line from Thoreau, mm -hmm. and that's your latest book that you wrote as a poem. Mm -hmm. Why the decision to move uh, from prose back to poetry? Well, in my older age, I'm going back to what I was doing as a child, and my other thinking was that Tripmaster Monkey took me 10 years, and the fifth book of peace was 12 years. And I thought, well, I am becoming older, and I can't afford to spend 10, 12 years per book. But poetry is short, and poetry is easy, because poetry is a gift from the muse. I just wait for the gift and poetry, I don't have to write the great big scenes, and, um, and I don't have to write characters where I describe everything. In poetry, I can just find the essence of each person, and I can write the essence of, of the atmosphere of every scene. And so this is why I, I want the brevity and the condensation of poetry. And, uh, and I did it, and it only took four years. Maxine Hong Kingston, thank you so much. It's thank such you. a pleasure, thank you. Thank you, Joe. <gasps> that was trailblazing author Maxine Hong Kingston. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpt from Moon, reflected at the pool at Erquan, performed by and used courtesy of Music from China. Thanks to the F. Scott Fitzgerald Literary Conference, the conference director, Erica Koss, Montgomery College Television, and special thanks to MCTV's Michael Brown. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov, and now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, singer-songwriter Natalie Merchant. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>